John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hi, this is Steve. There are some great films like Die Hard, Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and The Princess Bride that I could pretty much watch all the time. And there are other great films like Lawrence of Arabia, Citizen Kane, and The Godfather that I absolutely love and have seen many, many times, but they take a little bit more out of me. Then there are the tough films, films that are undeniably great like Schindler's List and Requiem for a Dream that I definitely admire, but frankly avoid because... Sometimes they're just too hard to watch. I first saw Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby in the movie theater when it came out, and didn't watch it again until a few weeks ago when I began prepping for the show. Now, it's not that there aren't fun parts. There are. A lot of them. In fact, it's the joy of the first two acts of the film that make the third act so difficult. The relationship between Maggie and Frankie had deep resonance for us, and our discussion in part two certainly reflects that. So if you haven't seen this great film and are wondering what exactly am I talking about, it's time for you to step out of the ring and go to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream Million Dollar Baby along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. And of course, we would never have entered the world of this great film if it weren't for the folks at Warner Brothers and their filmmaker series. From September 15th through the 19th, Warner Brothers will be exploring the lives and work of some of their greatest filmmakers, including Stanley Kubrick, Ridley Scott, Martin Scorsese, Frank Darabont, and of course Clint Eastwood at youtube.com slash Warner Bros. online. Finally, if you support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles, right now you could be listening to a behind-the-scenes peek at exactly how each episode of the cinephiles gets made. So that's the making of The Cinephiles on Patreon and Million Dollar Baby Part 2 this Friday on The Cinephiles. And don't forget to tune into Warner Brothers Filmmaker Series at youtube.com slash Online, where from September 15th through 19th, they will be exploring the journeys of five of the greatest filmmakers of all time. And I swear to God, Father, it's, it's committing a sin by doing it. By keeping her alive, I'm killing her. You know what I mean? How do I get around that? You don't. You step aside, Frankie. You leave her with God. 
She's not asking for God's help. She's asking for mine. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where we continue our exploration of Million Dollar Baby. My name is Steve Morris, I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hey everyone, my name is John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, host, and voiceover artist here in Los Angeles, California, and excited to be back to finish off our conversation of this Best Picture winner, Million Dollar Baby. And of course, we wouldn't be talking about it if it weren't for the Warner Brothers Filmmaker Series, which is going to premiere on September 15th on YouTube.com slash Warner Bros online. Um, and uh, this, is a, this is a series exploring some of the top directors to ever work at Warner Brothers, including Martin Scorsese, Stanley Kubrick, Frank Darabont, uh, Ridley Scott, and of course, Clint Eastwood, who we're talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. And this is going only for five nights. So it's only five nights. You get to go to behind the scenes and follow the journey of some of uh, modern cinema's most celebrated directors. Uh, you're going to get behind the scenes footage. You're going to get interviews with them. So much uh, more information you can have about these incredible directors. And for anyone who's a film student or for anyone who calls themselves a cinephile, I think you can't ask for anything more than something like this to really kind of dive in deep and get some knowledge and get some time to spend with these incredible filmmakers. And uh, big thanks to Warner Brothers for setting this all up. Look, we're all home with COVID. We're all, most of us are self-isolating or self-staying home or whatever. So why not sit back and enjoy some great content from the fine folks at Warner Brothers about these five incredible filmmakers? And again, that's five nights starting on September 15th. You just go to youtube.com slash Warner Bros online uh, to see it. And if you do go there, I would ask, please leave Cine that you saw heard about it first on the cinephiles in the comment section so they can see what an incredible job we are doing at promoting their incredible <laughs> series. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think we should just jump right back into this film when okay. we left off. Uh, they had really sealed the deal between Maggie and Frankie. He told her he would never leave her. And uh, and now Frankie's back at church, wants <laughs> to get some info on the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> um, uh, and then we're back into training and, and Maggie's there at the bag. And he says, I said, I'd see you Monday. You sure did, boss? That was last night. He said not to argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, the next scene. In general, here's a screenwriting rule. If I could take something entirely out of the movie and no one would ever notice, you probably should take it out. Basically, all screenplays, all movies, they're all too long. We're always trying to cut them down to the bare essential. We want to be a clean, efficient movie where every single thing is necessary. This scene could be cut entirely out of the movie and you would never miss it. And the scene is fantastic. And you and this is like the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. This is a scene about Morgan Freeman's socks. Yeah. Where are your shoes? They're not my feet. You got big holes in your socks. Oh, they're not that big. Didn't I give you money for some new ones? These are my sleeping socks. My feet like a little air at night. How come you're wearing them in the daytime then? Because my daytime socks got too many holes in them. Well, if I give you some more money, you buy some new socks, please. Well, I'd be tempted, but I couldn't say for sure. Might find its way to the track. <laughs> so I played that scene in its entirety because I just adore it. I don't, you know, scene. like it's you learn. 
there's so much in here and and they're about their relationship and there's nothing in here yeah it is fantastic so love uh paul haggis was the screenwriter was on the set a lot and a lot of directors don't like screenwriters on the set. Screenwriters tend to have very strong opinions about their material, and directors don't like people questioning their opinions, and frequently directors are changing things from the script on the set, so they want to keep the writer as far away as possible. Yeah. Clint has no problems with writers on the set. This is what he said. He says, I figure if he's smart enough to write it, he's smart enough to have an opinion. Yeah. That's, that is the confidence. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I love it. Yeah. 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 Um, it, here's what I wrote about that. I, I, I said, he has an ego so strong, he doesn't need to have an ego. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's strong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go have some fights. They're all going to end quickly. Bell rings, knockout. Another bell rings. Huge right, shakes it off, uppercut, knockout. I got the breathing thing down. You ain't breathing because you're knocking them out in the first round, that's what. thought that was the point. The point is to get good. And she wants to get out of four-round fights. She wants to get into the bigger fights, into six-round fights. Because you haven't got the lungs for six rounds, that's why. I do if I keep knocking them out in the first round. <laughs> it's great. It's all great. Yeah. And, an, so good. and another knockout, and another knockout. And then there's a fight that's a little bit tougher. It's the first six-round fight. And you could see Frankie watching, and he is in the ring with her. Just what we've seen before. He's throwing punches. He's moving with her. And it's a huge knockdown again. And then the problem. After that, no fighter wanted to fight with Maggie. Yeah. So Frankie's bribing people to get him to fight his fighter. It's ironic, isn't it? Because he was mad at Sally setting up uh, Maggie to get knocked out by a fighter to help her, his fighter. Oh, you're he right. signed with Longer. But here is Clint Eastwood bribing these, or the character of Clint Eastwood, bribing these guys to basically sell their fighters out so that uh, Maggie can get number, can get victories on her resume so she can start climbing up the rankings. So boxing is a dirty business. Doesn't matter how clean your heart is. It's a dirty business. And so once you get involved in it, there are a lot of uh, negotiations with yourself that you have to make. I never had that thought. You're 100% right. Mm. Yes, he's doing exactly what was done to her. But this is the trick we get into filmmaking, isn't it, Steve? When we see a good person doing what mm. we just saw a bad person do, we're totally okay with it because we know the good person has the best of intentions. But when the bad person does it, we're like, no, that's a wrong thing. Can you believe he did that? And it's the other one's like, well, he kind of had to do that because he's, you know, trying to. So it's just the, the little mini conversations subconscious conversations we have with ourselves as we watch films like this i think characters like i this. think you just said something so deep not just about films but just life in general which is that because oh, yeah. we see all sorts of people that we know that are our friends or our family and mm. we cut them slack for the shitty things they do but but yeah. we see someone else do that shitty thing or the biggest one of course is we cut ourselves slack for the shitty things that we do True. because we're good people and so we had to do that thing for whatever reason we had to do that I mean, I think you just put your put your finger on one of the basic <laughs> horrible things of humans. So, well done. <laughs> That's a big well, thought. Um, uh, <laughs> and then we move up in class. He goes, can't get the fights. I, I forget what, what weight class she was in, but he moves her up in class. And she goes out there and immediately gets her nose broken. Yeah, and, which is great. And, the, and I want to point out something really important that you won't notice the first time you see it. There is a lot of attention paid to the stool going into the ring. 
Yes, right? And this yeah. is the first time you see it. And they have different shots. And when you're watching it the first time, if you don't know what's going to happen, it's just, a sh- it's just a shot in the fight. There's no big deal. Like, yeah, the stool comes That's in, the thing. trainer comes over, with the fighter sits down. But in this movie, there is specific attention to showing over and over again, the bell rings, the stool comes in. The bell rings, the stool comes in. Shot at low angles, close, high, moving shots, every time handled a little bit differently. And this is, again, this is a master filmmaker thing. It is not showy. Yeah. It is just, I mean, it, and would the movie totally work without this? Totally work. But the okay. fact that you're you're not noticing it, but it's going into your brain, it's like a little piece of music yeah. or a little color bit of symbolism or something like that that's hitting you and hitting you and hitting you. So this yeah. is the first one. She comes up, the nose is broken, the doctor is coming over, and it's just what we saw with the fight with Big Willie. It's like mm-hmm. the doctor's going to stop the fight, and she's like, if you could just stop the blood for a little while, I can beat her. My goodness. And it is brutal. I mean, this is the cut. This is cut me, Mick. Have you ever had your nose dislocated or broken? Yeah, I think I had it broken in a sparring match. Um, It hurt so bad and blood came out of my nostrils. I mean, I never got an x-ray or anything, so I don't I don't know for sure. Uh, But you could see there's a little bump over over right here on my Uh nose. Yeah, it hurts. And getting hit in the nose hits in a hurts in a really weird way. Yeah. It's just like your whole like pain goes out shooting through your whole face into your eyes. And have you had your nose broken or dislocated? Never broken, but I've been punched really hard in the nose one time. Uh, when you you know when you're young and you're doing those boxing gloves things, mm. my brother one time just in a desperation swing <laughs> caught me flush. Yeah. Um, and of course I was so angry. I just grabbed him and pummeled him for a little bit, but like you just, cause it's a reflex reaction, you know, but like, yeah, that was like, uh, like you said, pain that you could never, you don't know how to describe it till yeah. it happens to you. And then you go like, oh, wow. I, you know, I get it. I don't, yeah. And I don't understand how a fighter keeps going. I mean, I, maybe no, just with right. you with the rage, you know, I know Ali had his nose broken. What in the, or anyway, he has jaw his broken, jaw broken. Ken Norton yeah. in the second round yeah. and fought all the way to the end. So yeah, it's incredible. Um, and uh, and so he resets it, which is brutal. And then the Q-tips go way up to stop the bleeding yeah. and makes her inhale. And it's just like, ah, oh! but you see her toughness. And yeah. he tells her, you got 20 seconds before this turns into a geyser. You got to take her out right now. And that is exactly what she does. <laughs> a huge celebration and a hug. And I love, you know, again, watch Clean Eastwood's reaction to this hug. Yeah. Because this is his daughter, you know, yep, yep. this is what he hasn't had for 30 years. Who knows how long? Right. This hole in his life has been filled yep. by Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, we're at the hospital with Morgan Freeman and he's reading his Yates and it's just a funny, it's just a, a joyful scene in the hospital. Yeah. What you reading, boss? <laughs> what you reading? Um, Keep your head back. And Morgan turns to him and says, how you doing? Me? Yeah, you. I'm not the one who's hurt. But of course, he's she's fine. Yeah, he's worried about his poor girl who had her nose broken. She's totally fine. Yeah, totally. She's she won the fight. She doesn't care about the nose. She's she's on cloud nine right now. Yeah, but some wounds are too deep or too close to the bone, which we heard at the very beginning of the movie. And no matter how hard you work at it, you just can't stop the bleeding. Again, it's great screenwriting. You know, is that you take a thing that was a really interesting thing at the beginning of the movie, and now you're saying the same thing again in a completely different way about a different wound. It's not the wound in the face, it's the wound in Frankie's heart. And then we cut to the church. Did you write your daughter? Every week. 
It's another fight, uh, another knockout. Again, you see that stool come in. There's smiles. Another fight. I like that. And again, as the director, how do I shoot each fight differently? In this fight, your shot's on the corner. Maggie walks towards camera, out of frame. The camera pulls back with her. And then she walks back into frame because the fight's <laughs> over. And we don't yeah. see it. And what we do see is the stool. Yeah. And we hear after a 12th straight knockdown, she got a couple of good offers. One is to fight for the championship against Billy the Blue Bear, which is who's played by Lucia Riker. And she, the description of her is like a just a, whore, a former prostitute out of East Berlin. It's like the this is like this is like Dolph Lundgren. You know what I mean? Like this is, <laughs> right. this is the classic bad guy boxer character. <laughs> and she is horrible, like grabs yeah. this woman by her face and throws it down, throws elbows, just terrible cheater. And Frankie won't take the fight. Yeah. The British champion uh, makes an offer. He turns that down, too. And now we're in the same thing. Are we going to have the same thing happen that happened with yeah. Big Willie? Is he going to protect her right out of a championship fight? Learn to protect your face a little better. I wouldn't have to turn down this money. My face out there so much. It's a miracle. I haven't been knocked out yet, boss. <laughs> Again, she's training at night, and Morgan Freeman comes and says... I made a reservation because I guess this is her birthday again. Yeah. And they end up at a diner and he gets her a cupcake with a candle and in walks Mickey Mack, the same guy that took Big Willie away and yeah. goes and sits at the far end of the counter. And then he tells the story. Yeah. And the story is he's 37. Frankie's, you know, cut man has been patching him up and it's his 109th fight. Everybody's got a particular number of fights in it. Mine was 109. I just didn't want to admit it. And he tells a story that this cut opens up over his eyes, and Frankie wants to stop the fight, and he won't let him. Round after round, <laughs> he's arguing with me. I'm almost laughing because hell, it's getting more to him than to me. I go 15 rounds, lose by decision. Which means it was a good fight. He was right in there. Next morning, I lose the eye. In 23 years, he's never said a thing about it. Somehow, Frankie thinks he should have stopped that fight. Should have saved my eye. Spends his life wishing that he could take back that 109th fight. I wanted to go up to 110. I think this is, you know, this is Frankie. You know, is that all he, is that the regret of losing Morgan Freeman's eye is why he didn't send Big Willie to the championship fight? Yeah. You know? And and he's a constant reminder yeah. of the mistake in his mind that he made. But, you know, once again, man, uh, um, when you compete, the things you hold on to are the mistakes or the losses. Totally. You don't hold on to the victories. You don't hold on to the, you know, as strongly as you hold on to the losses. Because the losses are uh, always, uh, you know, when you get to be at a certain level, they're always the minute thing that makes the difference between winning and losing and it can haunt you and so this moment that he you know frankie says earlier in the film or scrap says earlier in the film you know no one can say i didn't go down swinging right there's a pride aspect of it all but what it cost him in the end you know frankie regrets the fact that he couldn't he, he probably did a fantastic job on all of his fights but in that one fight he feels the guilt of not having made a decision, a stronger decision. But in that moment, you can't know what the right decision is. You can only go with what your instinctual feeling is in that moment to make the right decision. And that can be right or wrong. You just never know. Totally. Two, two things about this. One is 
um, that literally today I was just talking about uh, my film, The Assistance, with uh, our, our good friend Steve Jones, who's been on the show. Right. And what I was talking about was this one direction I didn't fucking give. <laughs> and it's it, I, I, I'll never. And I'm proud of the movie. I really like the movie. Available on yeah. iTunes for rental or purchase anytime you like. <laughs> the Assistance, starring Joe nice Montaigne, Jane Seymour, and Stacey Keach. But Boom. I'm proud of the movie. But there is a direction I didn't give. And the first thought I have is about the things I fucked up. There are three major things I fucked up on that film. And they still like drive me nuts. And they will always drive me nuts. The other interesting thing is that Frankie regrets that fight. Scrap doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't right. have any regret about that. Exactly. And then here's the other, because again, great screenplays, great movies. Their scenes are doing a lot of stuff. They're doing a lot of heavy lifting all at the same time. Yes. And what's so weird about this scene is he sits her down, tells her a story about Frankie's love, about his heart, about his devotion, about his guilt and his care. And that is the scene where he set her up to leave him. Yeah. yeah. It is, and I go like, what did he want? Did he want her to leave him? I actually think he wanted her not to leave him. I think he wanted her to do exactly what she did because she, he leaves. She gets up. She walks over to Mickey Mac and she says, I hear you're a, a real good manager doing uh, good things for Big Willie. But I thought you should know I ain't never leaving Mr. Dunn. So you don't need to make any more excuses to bump into me. <laughs> and I love what she said. I love what uh, Morgan Freeman says. There goes Maggie, always taking him out in the first round. <laughs> it's great. It's great. so good. She always did like taking him out in the first round. <laughs> so fantastic. Such a great line. Man. Clint goes home, opens the door. There's mail on the floor. Return to sender. Picks up the mail, goes to his closet, pulls down a shoebox. And you notice there are a whole bunch of shoeboxes in that closet. Yeah. And he puts the letter in with hundreds and hundreds of other letters because he has been writing his daughter every week. Yeah. And she has never read his letters. That is, man. Yeah. I can't imagine I mean, the pain of that. And we, we, I don't know if we ever find out why. No, we never do. Right. Which is incredible. I mean, just a, once again, Haggis, for all the crap he takes for Crash, this is a goddamn beautifully well-written film, man. <laughs> And the mystery that he leaves you with is well-earned. It's well-earned. Because sometimes when you watch it, so many of these movies, Steve, and they always answer the question for you, it's refreshing to have yeah. that one movie that's so incredibly well-written, well-directed, well-acted, that leaves you with a little bit of mystery as you walk out of the theater. It's brilliant. We're back at Maggie's place. The first thing they talk about is money, because she's making some money, and he's hoping that she'll buy a house of her own to take care of herself. And I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm just trying to keep you from doing the same. I know, boss. I'm not going to live forever. Yeah. Which already is fatherly. You know what I mean? Like, it's already in the father position. And then he pulls out a VHS tape. And she goes, what's this? He says, the tape of the girl in England you're going to fight. And she jumps on him. <laughs> and I love him like, hey, I'm old. <laughs> um, and he says, well, let's put this in the machine. She's like, what machine? Because yeah. she doesn't even have a TV. Yeah. That is how dedicated she is. Here's And this is the thing. I knew what was going to happen in the movie. I didn't know when it was going to happen. Yeah. So I didn't know if it was the fight in England. And I'm literally going like, please don't be this. If, if it happens now, there's like 45 minutes left in the movie. I can't take it. And I'm just so scared of what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm enjoying, and this part is so fun because really this movie is Rocky in a lot of ways and it's more joyful than Rocky. And I would never put that Rocky's one of my all time favorite films, Absolutely. but, but there, but there are things that this movie has that Rocky does not have. Yeah. Not that, but it's not putting down Rocky at all, but it, they're just different. And in this moment though, this is awesome. You know, this is so exciting and so much fun. We end up in England. I love that someone comes in and says, 10 minutes love. She's like, oh, he loves me. And again, that's a funny bit, but then it sets up this other thing. Well, he's probably not the first one to say that. First since my daddy. This is so important in what's about to happen. I win, you think he'll propose? You win, I'll propose. Because he's he's the father figure. He is. T- there's so many small references to daddy that happen in moments where right when he makes a commitment to her, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Like it's not, it's not by accident that she says it's the first person since my daddy to say, I love you. Yeah. That's, that's important, but it comes in just from a joking way. Um, and then he gives her her robe, which says something in Gaelic it's in green and she doesn't know what it says. And he won't tell her, which is something we're going to set up. She wasn't the main attraction. She was on the undercard of a middleweight title fight. But ask someone who was there. They couldn't tell you who else fought that night. <laughs> right. We're into the fight. The crowd starts chanting uh, Makushle, which is what it says on her, yeah. on her robe. And we don't get to know what that means. And this time, at the end of a round, we see a top-down shot of that stool coming in. I can't get inside. I can't get close enough to hear them. You know why that is? Why? She's a better fighter than you are, that's why. She's younger, she's stronger, and she's more experienced. Now, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) And I love that at this moment, and again, it's a great subtle thing, is as she's thinking, what are you going to do about that? We see the ring girl with the sign go by, and it's a shot very much of her ass. And the reason I think that is important is is the contrast between the sexualization of the female form that's that's linked to violence and boxing and has been for a century yeah and this woman fighter like i think that's important and yeah, interesting absolutely. Yeah. absolutely yeah the next round starts she knocks the other person into the ropes and she knocks her out with the crowd chanting that that gaelic word Um, and she says it's after she says, I could ask someone, you know, and he's like, yeah. And we hear Morgan say, whatever it is, the name stuck. And it sounds like they traveled all over Europe fighting. And now by, he says, by the time they got back to the States, Maggie was in a whole other league. And we see her knock someone else out and the skill level is very high. Again, we see that stool come in and who's sitting ringside, but the blue bear and her manager. What's the split? 60, 40. Good. We'll take 60 and you take 40. Me as a Maggie's the draw. And they do not reject, they don't just say no way right away, which means that we know that Clint's right. Yeah. And what's interesting about this, he is not making the mistake that he made with Willie. No. He is giving her the title fight. He's giving her what she needs because he loves her. Yeah. And it is a mistake. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I mean, it's not a, the choice isn't a mistake. Right, 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 right. But it's bad. What's going to yeah. happen? Well, yes, but. Once again, it's his, you know, and I and I would love, you know, if there's ever going to be a sequel, there'd never be a sequel. But like, of course, no, no. Once again, he makes a decision, you know, that leads to his fighter being hurt, right? But yeah. the decision is born out of the instigation from Scrap and from Mike that 
he doesn't put his fighters in position to win belts. Yeah. But Maggie wanted this so bad. And the thing is, and I think, and I hopefully the character can rest in peace with this, is that Maggie uh, was never going to take no for an answer. And she was going to get that title fight one way or another. And so uh, he had no choice but to agree to it. But he wanted to agree to it his terms. Um, and so it's set. And that, I mean, that Lucia Riker was scary. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, sometimes we do things for completely the right reasons that are totally the right decision. And they end up horribly. Yeah. He did nothing wrong here. And I think part of it is he loves Maggie more than he loved Willie. Like, yeah. he, he, he was able to know that he was hurting Willie because he loved him and still do it. He can't do that with Maggie. He can't yeah. take away the thing that she needs because he loves her too much. And it has yeah. a tra- there are tragic consequences to that decision. And this is this is this thing. I, I don't we can we're going to talk about what where Frankie is at the end of this film. Right. But personally, I don't think it's a good place. You know? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't. Just, just because I am saying that Frankie should forgive himself, it's not his fault. He's never going to feel that way. No, you know that. That's. It's never going to come. But what we do find out of this scene is that she bought the house. Mm-hmm. She bought it with cash, no money owed. But she didn't buy it for herself. She bought it for her mama. Yeah, her mama. And she wants him to come with her to go give it to her. And they go to the trailer park, and they pull up, and out comes. Margot Martindale is so good at this part. Who, by the way, she does not weigh 312 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that too, right? <laughs> I mean, she's not skinny, but yeah. that ain't 312 pounds. No. I saw you post on Twitter <laughs> that she has to be one of the greatest villains of all time. I mean, the whole her and the whole family. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, they're it's, pure evil. It's pure so evil. horrible. And what's so funny is that, you know, he goes, like, to take her to buy the house. The Johnson's Ohio. Not anymore. It's all yours, Mama. For you and Mardale and the kids. Mary, you bought this for me? Yeah, all yours, free and clear. Darling. And I'm going, well, we've seen this scene before. We saw it. Elvis yes. did this. We see Richie Valens within La Bamba does this. Right. We've right. seen this. This is this is a classic. The fighter, the musician, the actor yeah. buys the house for mom. And they, mom is so happy. And it's all going to be great. And so that's where we are in this moment. And she says, and then she ever says, How much money this costs? You never mind that. Well, you shouldn't have done this. You need a decent place. You shouldn't have done it. And we're like, oh, yeah. Oh, you shouldn't have, honey. But no, she's saying you should have asked me. The government's going to find out about this house. They're going to stop my welfare. I know they ain't. Yeah, they are. You're fine. You're working. But I can't live without my welfare. Mama, I send you money. What about my medicine? Medicaid gonna cut me off. How am I supposed to get my medicine? I'll send you more money. Why don't you just give me the money? <laughs> it, it's just so. But once awful. again, once again, because she's a fighter. Okay, and that's Ricky Lindholm, by the way, who's playing that uh, character. What she says in that moment when she hears her mama say, "Why well, just give me the money?" Yeah. That was good. By she, the way. She's like, she says, I've dealt with those in Virginia my whole life. What she says when she turns around and says, well, mama, it's your house now. You can sell it and get the money. And just that's boom. Yeah. Knockout. Game over. Uh, and so she's always, uh, no matter what situation, she's quick on her feet and knocking people out verbally or physically. And so it's like such a great moment in that scene. Well, and it. 
lays the groundwork for what's coming next. I mean, I would say in, in this scene, it's kind of yes and no, because yes, she does do that. Yeah. But she's hurt. You know of what I mean? She, she, she can't protect herself. Again, we're into this area of, and Frank can't protect her too. That's also, he's sitting there Bam. watching this. Yeah. And he's like, and seeing this, the fucking horribleness of what they're doing. Right. And he can't, he can just, just got to stand there. And they, they go back to the trailer. And I love that mom says, that man hitting you. Because she's got bruises on her face. It's from the fight. I'm a fighter, mama. Find a man, Mary M. Live proper. People hear about what you're doing and they laugh. Hurts me to tell you, but they, they laugh at you. The way she says it, they laugh. And hurts me to say it. You. It doesn't hurt you to say it. It doesn't hurt her a damn bit to say it. But she is jealous. She yes. is jealous. She is jealous. And this happens sometimes with people who are poor. Sometimes in, in or uh, maladjusted families, the parents can get jealous of their kids when their kids actually become something successful because it, it reflects back yes. on them how unsuccessful they were in their lives. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, and in that moment, that's what she's saying. Oh, they laugh. She's digging it in. But Maggie's so strong, Maggie can take it. You know why? Because Maggie's probably been talked down to her entire life by her mom. Um, uh, and but it by, hurts. Yeah, I mean, she could it take hurts. it. But it, well, and the thing, and because I, I think it, 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 this is what you were saying, but that it brings the lie to mom's whole worldview. Mom yes. believes I had no choice, so I have to cheat on welfare. So I have to. I I don't have a choice. And what Maggie has proven is that no, there was a choice. Yeah, I worked really hard. I changed my life. We're at a gas station, and it's just a lovely scene. She's in the car. We see through the windshield as he's cleaning the window, and she's just alone, and she looks up, and in the truck across on the other side of the pump is a beautiful young girl, and they make eye contact, and they smile, and they wave, and that is Clint Eastwood's youngest daughter. It's Morgan yeah. Eastwood. Yeah. And he gets in, and we're driving at night, and she says, you ever own a dog? His answer is, nope, closest I ever came was a middleweight from Barstow, <laughs> which is funny from begin, begin with. And then she tells this story about the dog that her family had, her dad's dog named Axel, and that he had he'd been injured and he couldn't really move his back legs. And so he scooted around the floor. And then one day, dad took Axel out in his truck and we came back, no Axel. It wasn't until he got home that night alone that I saw the shovel in the back of the truck. And again, we see the use of shadows and light as it goes across their face. And she just says how she missed that dog. Mm -hmm. So this is a plant. Yeah. And it's a plant that we don't. And, and this is, you know, we talked about plants before. A good plant works. It has to be invisible. It has to yeah. fit into the scene and be a great part of the scene. If we feel it that it's out of place or that we're being told something that's important, it's not a good plant. Yeah. And so this scene, you just hear it because it fits into where we are in this story. Yeah. Because what the scene feels like it's about is the next thing that happens is she says, I got nobody but you, Frankie. In the scene with, in England, nobody said they love me since my daddy. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'll propose to you. Dad, love, Frankie. Now she's told this scene about story about her dad and dog, and she says, I got nobody but you. And there's a look, and he says, Well, you've got me. Yeah. Well, you got me. This is I love you. Yep. Yep. This is the and, and this is you are my father. Yeah. And what did her father do for the dog that was wounded? 
Put him out of his misery. Put him out of its misery. Yep. I mean, it's all here in this scene. Yep. And then we end up with a joke. He says, at least until we find you a good manager. <laughs> and there's a smile. And then his smile fades out. And he's just, we're just in this moment. Hey, can we stop just up here? This place has the best lemon pie around. None of that canned filling crap. So again, we go right from a deep moment of love and connection to lemon meringue pie. Yeah. Now I can die and go to heaven. Again, it's a plant. And and she, what does she say? I used to come here with daddy. What's so funny is talking about it now, it all sounds so obvious. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, well, of course. Oh, come on. Yeah. But that's not how you feel when you're watching the movie. No, you, you, don't, you don't see the plants coming when you're watching yep. the movie. Wonder if a place like this is for sale. I got a little bit of savings. And then the camera pulls back and away. And we're le- left with them with lemon meringue pie, which is a symbol of love in the diner in the middle of nowhere. This is the emotional high of the film. This is where they're most connected. Yep. Where they most have said that they love each other, where they've said they're family, where she has replaced the daughter he's lost. He has replaced the father that she's lost. And there is complete truth and trust between them. Yeah. And it's only going to go downhill (laughs) from this point forward. Sadly, yeah. Yeah. He makes a deal for the fight. It's a million-dollar deal, split 50-50. And he goes to Scrap and says, want to go to Vegas? I could use a good second. And then he says, I can't find one, so I thought I'd ask you. (laughs) And, you know, again, every scene between them is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, why the hell would I want to do that? Well, because you're a half-blind old fool who never got there himself. I thought you might like to feel what it's like to be in the ring on a title match. Excuse me for feeling sorry for you. It's all great. Yeah. And Morgan says, now pick up someone else in Vegas. Pick up someone in young hands. Uh, I leave his place for one day. Got any idea what it would look like when I come back? Kind of like it looks right now. I'll go to hell. Guess what? Frank is going to hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if Scrap went to Vegas to be his second, Maggie would be alive. Probably. Probably. Because it's the other guy who puts the stool in too early. Yeah. But you know who wouldn't have been alive? Who? Danger. Oh. You think Danger would have, you think he would die? Maggie would have killed him. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely beat him till he was brain dead. Yes. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe. I mean, certainly it would be way worse than what it was. Listen, two hard scrabble cases are operating at the same time throughout this movie, right? Danger is the one you laugh at and whatever. He's got a sweetheart. He's just not smart. Yeah. And you feel for him. You know, God bless his heart. Uh, And he does what he does, but he needs, he's the one that actually needs protection, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maggie doesn't necessarily need protection. She needs training. And so what happens to uh, Maggie, what happens to Scrap staying saves Danger's life. Because um, know, you know he would have left the keys for somebody because these guys mm. got to train. So Danger could have uh, absolutely died. Sally wasn't going to stop uh, uh, Anthony right. Mackie or any of these other guys. No. So uh, that would have been the truth. Like Danger would have absolutely died. And so uh, Maggie unfortunately pays the price for that because uh, Scrap stays. You know, it's funny. So you know how sometimes I write down questions at various points you know, yeah. for, to discuss? You want to know what the question I just I had written down in this scene? Why did Scrap stay? 
why is danger in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> why do we spend so much time on him? What is his purpose? And I think you kind of just explained it. Yeah. You know, is that he's another character who's all heart mm -hmm. and that he's showing this other part. Yeah. And of course, this is a danger moment because he comes up to, to Scrap and says, I got a question. I feel real stupid asking it. No such thing as a stupid question, man, danger. Okay. How'd you get all the ice and hair through this little tiny hole? I've been trying to figure out. I, figure I can't out. put it together. Yeah. Can you show? Come on, I'll show you danger. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie's packing, and Frankie asks her a question. Would you rather fly or would you rather drive? So, finally get to decide something? That's what I'm saying. She says, fly there, drive back. <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. How the hell are we going to do that? Then it was up to me. <laughs> and again, it's a plant. Yeah, of course. And it's just so horrible because it's a funny bit. Toilet's overflowing. Morgan's got to fix it. And this is the moment you're going to talk about because while he's fixing the toilet, he starts, starts to hear some fighting, which is not that unusual at a gym. And he comes out and there's danger just getting the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. By Andy Mack. <laughs> gets up, gets in the middle of it, pulls danger off, who's just... Beat to hell. How'd I, how'd I do him a scrape? You did good, Danger. You did real good. You're my man. You rock. And Maggie's like, you haven't even fought yet. You haven't even thrown a, a punch. Anybody can lose one fight. Anybody can lose one, son. You'll come back from this. You'll be champion of the world. Oh, Miss Gray. I should have known. Morgan Freeman says, you mind if I borrow this? He takes the left glove and puts it on his hand. Oh, oh, I see. Now I get to fight a retard and an old man. <laughs> Call ESPN because you can't write this shit. <laughs> and Morgan walks right up. And the look on his face and the, the, the danger of it, the power. Oh! Jab right to Mackie's face. Mackie backs him up, throws a big right cross, which Morgan ducks. Body blow with his left, then up to the head with his left. That's the hand with the glove on. And then a big right with the hand with no glove. Mackie goes down and spits out a tooth. Yep. Knocked out. Couple of things about this. Okay. The first is then he says, 110. <laughs> I love that. So that yeah. we've had a great plant. I had 109 fights. I always thought I could have had 110. Yeah. Now he has. Yeah. Second thing about this. He's been watching Anthony Mackie practice for probably years. Yeah, right. So he knows he, exactly how to fight him. Scott is no, and he says, you know, he's got this big right cross, but no heart. So yeah. he knows that. There's also a thing. Have you ever heard, heard people talk about old man strength? <laughs> I think so, yeah. So, so the thing, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard uh, our friend uh, Dan Panocean uh, told me this because he's a serious weightlifter. And he said there's a thing like that. While all sorts of things go downhill as you grow older as a man, there is uh, that muscle density goes up until you're in your mid fifties. Wow. So there's, so, so you're slower, you low flexibility, your coordination goes to all these things down. But in terms of like Rocky in uh, Rocky Balboa, you yeah. know, like you can still be a damn strong dude. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing I thought about with this moment is you remember what Maggie said? I don't need good conditioning. If I knock him out in round one. Yeah. Like the weakness of the old man. The reason the old man can't fight a 20 year old is he can't go to round two. That's right. Right. But you take him out in one punch. <laughs> like For George Foreman did. Knocking yeah. out knocking out uh what's his face? Michael Moore for the title. Yeah. 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 
That's old uh, man strength. Old he man was 48, strength, man. 48 when he yeah. won the title, man. It's so weird that I'm now three years older than that, by the way. <laughs> um, I also know how 48 or I'm 51, how that feels and thinking about what, what he had to go do. Right. Um, but danger is gone. Yeah. Disappeared. We're at the fight. Win this one, I'll tell you what it means. I got you some pipers. And we have bagpipes. They entered a huge cheers. Um, and I am so afraid and filled with dread because now I know it's coming. Like now we're almost there. And we have the, the blue bear comes into the ring and Morgan is watching and we do our announcement. And here's my question. What did you remember what you knew about where this movie was going to go the first time you saw it? Did you know that it was going to become a tragedy? No, not at all. So I don't when think it so happens, when, no, and it's not in the trailer, no. by the way, it's not in the trailer. So when it happens, it is such a powerful moment of shock in the theater, you know? Because I think you think you're, I'm watching Rocky. Yes. You're like, this is it. We're going to fight the champ. We're going to beat the champ. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. I don't think, so, so my experience, the reason I ask, my experience the first time seeing the movie and my second time seeing the movie are completely different. Yeah. Because I literally was filled with dread this whole film. And the first time I watched it, I was just having a great time. Fight starts well. Dodges, counters, throws punches and bunches. She gets roughed up in the clinch a little bit, but she gets some good shots in. And then there's a big elbow to the face. Yeah. Which, I don't know if you know boxing rules, but that's illegal. That's illegal. And then even worse, she knocks her down. And then she punches her while she's still on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the ref doesn't see it. I, I mean, that's crazy, but what happens in that moment? Yep. I, I mean, that's like Tyson biting the ear level of insanity. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which, they didn't stop that fight. Nope, they didn't until the second time. Then Se- The second yeah. time, then they stopped it. Yeah. You bite two ears. I mean, come on. At some point, it's a pattern at this point. <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh, she's got a nasty cut on the eye, which she's... Uh, working on we hear that if the if what's her name does one more bad thing she's going to be disqualified round two she knocks her down and clint is going stay down you bitch and what she does as a very smart fighter rule is she waits till nine and then she stands up yeah and the thing is is like every fight is a story and this is we're telling the story of the fight really well what each choice each of the characters are making what their strategies are when it's going well when it's not going well it's a really really well-told fight yeah end of the round her eyes are burning which makes me wonder if they put she puts them on the glove yeah you know oh, what i yeah. mean good point yeah because that's come up if there's another movie where someone does that i try to remember what it is oh they yeah. put something on the glove and someone can't see and she's like what do i do and and basically frank tells her how to cheat Hit her right in the sciatic nerve. Punch her right in the ass. Like, what about the refs? Like, don't let the refs see it. Yeah. And, and this is just your point of what we said before. When our good people are cheating, yes, we're, we're okay, okay with it. We're not, yeah. yeah, we're okay with it, yeah. Um, and that's exactly what she does. Huge, huge punches. It's it, it, She's winning the fight. It's the end of the round. Everyone's cheering. And then the blue bear sucker punches her. <laughs> And just as that happens, we see the second put the stool in, not up, but sideways. And slow motion, and you see Clint reaching for the stool because he sees what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And she hits it right on her neck on the side. And we watch her arm fall. And Morgan Freeman is watching, and the ref sees it. Clint's reaction is amazing. Yeah, The crowd goes quiet. 
The fumbling of the hands at the legs is uh, perfect uh, directing filmmaking there to make you feel his his closeness to stop. It's almost like yeah. uh, Sharif at the end of Zhivago mm. having the heart attack before he gets to her. Yeah. Right? That yeah. Could have been. Totally. Totally. And, and, and then we're in this POV shot looking up at faces, at lights. Come on. And the lights are spinning, and there's a breath, and we fade out, and we fade in to the sound of breathing. She's in a hospital bed, breathing tubes in, her eyes are open, the camera pulls back, and this movie has become something completely different. Yeah. Frankie's there. They make a joke about his beard. She can't, we know what's happened. Yeah. She can't move. He smooths her hair tenderly, and then we fade out. And now Scrap is there. Does it, does it hurt much? Don't hurt at all. Which, of course, is the worst thing that she could yeah. say, because we know that, too. And he asks where Frankie is, and she says he's talking to the doctors. They're telling him I'm a C1 and C2 complete. Gonna be frozen like this the rest of my life. Yeah. And she's worried about him. She's worried about Frankie. How yeah, he's gonna take right? it. Hmm. And... Then she asked, did you see the fight? And he says, of course I did. You had her cold. I shouldn't have dropped my hands. I shouldn't have turned. Oh, I protect myself. How many times you do So, again, this phrase, protect yourself, protection, yeah. has come back and come back and come back. And now, this woman who got sucker punched yeah. by a cheater... And fell into a complete freak accident where the stool came in and was sideways at that moment, in that spot, in that second. She blames herself. Yep. yep. I didn't protect myself. He told me over and over again. That's what a fighter does. They blame themselves. And then she asked Scrap. Will you tell him real sorry? There's a pause. And this is just a perfect bit of writing, perfect bit of performance. He says, no. I won't do no such thing, Maggie. It's it, the movie is so moving to me, and yeah. not only was I crying the whole way through this whole section of the film, yeah. But then I watched the commentary track, as I often do. It's Al Ruddy. It is among the worst commentary tracks ever, <laughs> ever I've heard. All he does the whole movie is he goes, "See now." Clint here is thinking about doing this, but he decides not to do this. And Maggie really wants him to train her. Now, in this moment, he's talking to a priest and he's asking the priest about that. I'm like, Al, I've seen the movie. <laughs> like, you don't have to tell me what's happening in the film. Tell me. He literally, the whole thing told, said almost nothing about like production or the his anything. No, it was just like explaining what's happening on screen. I'm like, no, Clint did a good job. I got it. But even during watching the commentary track, I was still crying, Yeah, you know? And then I went and I go through all my notes and I'm reading through them all to make sure that I remember everything and everything's written correctly. Cried again. Ugh. That's how much this movie messed me up. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the hallway. Clint is leaning against the wall. Morgan walks up, says, So what's the plan? I know you got one, so you might as well tell me what it is. Is Scrap asking Frankie about killing her? I don't think so. I think he's just saying, are you going to take care of her? What's the money situation like? What, how, cause like they've essentially now become parents, mother and father to Maggie. 
And so he's like, "What's the plan? So what are we gonna? Are we gonna move her into our house? Are we gonna? Are you gonna move her into our into your house? Essentially, kind of asking him, you know, what? How are we gonna take care of her? Basically. And this next moment, with all of the intensity of Clint Eastwood through the Unforgiven and Dirty Harry yeah. and all of these films, Frankie turns at Scrap and says, "It's your fault." Yeah, it's your fault she's lying in there like that. You kept after me until I trained her. I knew I shouldn't have done it, her being a girl and all. Everything kept telling me not to. Everything but you. And he walks away, and the camera stays on Morgan. Once again, because he is a sensitive soul, he's lashing out. You know, and lashing out in a way that makes no sense, but he's lashing out. Well, and, and so, you know... You want to follow the five stages of grief, you know, ang- you know, anger, denial, bargaining, denial. Uh, depression, and acceptance. I think is what they are. Something like that. Yeah. We're going to see them. Oh yeah. Um, and the and we stay on Morgan. And that moment of this horrible thing has happened, mm-hmm. and the person that you have the closest relationship with in the world turns to you and says, "It's your fault." Yeah. That is awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Frankie, we're, we're into denial. Doctors around here don't know squat. Otherwise, why would they be living out here in the desert? Uh, as soon as you're able to be moved, find some place where they've actually studied medicine. Then he's on the phone calling every hospital until he finds out, no, that's not going to change it. Yeah. Now he's giving her a sponge bath, and it's so tender. Mm-hmm. And she goes, no, they have nurses to do that. And he says, they're amateurs. And he lifts up her arm, and there's a, a skin ulcer because... When you're paralyzed, you can't change positions. Right. And again, the performance from Clint Eastwood is amazing. Yeah. And now they're in an ambulance heading from Las Vegas and driving back to Los Angeles. And she says, Fly there, drive back. Which elicits a little bit of a smile. A little bit of a smile. From Clint Eastwood. Um, Acceptance of the situation. It feels like it's slowly happening. Ish. Rush. Of course. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Of course. What we're heading towards. But it's the way to fool the audience emotionally. You think, okay, we might come to some kind of resolution. Or maybe it won't be a tragic ending. Um, they're at the rehab center. It takes hours to get her into the wheelchair every day. Mm. She has to be on oxygen 24 hours a day. We hear that Maggie's family has called and they're going to come for a visit. So she waits by the window. They don't show up. They don't show up. Frankie finally tracks them down. They're in a hotel room. They've been in Los Angeles for six days. He leaves messages for him. They don't return. We're in the room. He's there reading. And she's like, you don't have to stay here. He's like, oh, no, I like it here. In fact, if you weren't here, I'd come here anyway to read my books. (laughs) And they talk about maybe getting a cabin in the woods. How about you? Would you like to go live in a cabin? I could learn how to bake. Well, then I'll... Maybe I'll start looking then. (laughs) And it's... A fantasy and a lie. Yeah, of course, of course. And they both know that it is. And they both need it. But you need it, of course. You need to, yeah, because the truth, the reality is too horrible. Yeah. And then the family shows up. (laughs) Wearing Universal Studios and Disneyland (laughs) t-shirts. Hi, I'm Frankie Dunn. I met you back out in Missouri. Where's my little girl? Well, uh, don't you think you ought to go back to the hotel and change? She doesn't know you've been here a week visiting Woody and Mickey. Frankie is trying so hard. Oh, he's shot. He, he, no, but he's trying, but he's also taking shots. Maybe there are a few rides you haven't ridden yet. Huh? You know, why don't you go back and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, it's this Just weird sort shots. of, I'm trying to protect 
Yes, of course. I'm trying, Again, to, protect trying to protect her. her. Yeah. And and if I can do that, if I could do that in a way of being of not just saying you're fucking horrible people, I will do that. And mom says, I drove all the way here to take care of my child, and you're suggesting I'm not a good mother. Maryam can't go nowhere. We could have taken her to Disneyland. We would have. <laughs> it's so awful. Yeah. And I love JD. Oh, so JD's, JD's the son who's out of prison. Oh. It is every hillbilly boy I wanted to punch in the mouth growing up in Virginia. I swear to God. Every it, ignorant hillbilly boy I had to grow up with in Virginia. And, and, and we see they've got like some lawyer guy with them. Yeah. And we go into the room. Frankie is outside. And inside, they're trying to get her to sign something. Yeah, man. This is terrible, this scene. They want her to sign something. And uh, Clint Eastwood or Frankie comes in. And he's like, well, I love when he comes in. He says, it. he says, he says, how you do? How we doing in here? How we doing in here? Right. <laughs> to try to kind of put himself in the situation. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, oh, well, maybe just leave it. I'll just leave it. And then Maggie's asking uh, her mom to read it uh, and all this. Back well, and Frankie and says, I'll read it. I'll read it yeah. later. And then JD okay. steps up on up to him and says, Hey, old man, you part of our family? Stay the hell out of this. I love that he steps up to Clint. Like he's going to get physical with him, and right. I'm like, Clint at 70 years old could kick JD's ass, right? You know, like this guy is a, like studied the world of boxing. Like you are not going to, you know, just like Morgan Freeman, he'll wipe you out, JD. Yeah. And basically, they're saying, you know, your money could get taken away, and the only way to protect it is to sign everything you have over to mom. The boxing commission's paying for all this, everything. What if they don't marry him? Mr. Johnson says they can take my house. If you assign your assets to your mother, no one will be able to touch them. No doctors, no funeral expenses. It is so fucking awful. Yeah. Within minutes of them walking into the room, Steve, they are trying to take her money from her, uh, from Universal Studios. They're trying to take her money from her and brought a lawyer. They had planned this whole thing out. They planned this whole thing out when they showed up, those yeah. low-rent motherfuckers. And, and they even mentioned, like, funeral expenses. Yeah. You know, like, when you die. Eastwood is trying to interfere, or Frankie's trying to interfere, and it, this is, once again, a great bit of screenwriting. Yeah, look, why don't you just leave it, and then I'll just read it to her later on. Mr. John, with respect, this ain't your business. And it, it freezes you as a right. viewer, because you're like, wait, no, what, wait, what? Maggie, what are you doing? And it's like, he's got to respect it, and he steps out. And he steps out because we have to have this moment between her mom and her. What's her fight? Her, it's in. Yep. She has to go into the ring. Her final knockout. You sign that paper, it'll take care of your family the, the way your daddy would have wanted you to. So we bring up dad. And then how do you make a mark? Can you hold a pen? You got to stick it in her mouth, mama. Oh. And so she starts to stick the thing in the mouth and the looks from Hillary Swank. I mean, doing some bed acting where you can't move, like the look of sort of bewilderment and then and realization like the she knew who her family was. She knew, but she didn't know that this was I think she held out some hope. Right. Even when the horribleness happened around the house, there was still like, okay, they are what they are. But this, I mean, she's sticking the pen in her mouth. That's why I tell people, if you are patient with people who are evil, they'll just keep pushing the line. If you react to them hard right off the bat, there is no line they'll be pushing. So always react strongly 
and push them back. Yeah. And, and, and she says, Mama, you take Mardale and JD and get home. Before I tell that lawyer there that you're so worried about your welfare, you never signed those house papers like you're supposed to. So anytime I feel like it, I can sell that house for one of your fat, lazy hillbilly ass. And if you ever come back, that's exactly what I'll do. And there's that question at the beginning of that speech where she says, what happened to you, mama? Yeah. And that's that question. That's the stronger question. Uh, yeah, the shot at the hillbilly yeah. house is funny. But the what happened to you, mama, is that moment. That, because she talks about her dad with some reverence. So clearly this family kind of worked when she was a child. Yeah. But when the father died, the mother's worst impulses, the need to blame everybody, the need to just stay at this station in her life, consumed the house. And she didn't know how far she had lost her mom until that moment, which is why she says it in that way. What happened to you, mama? <laughs> and then they storm out, take the pen back, and Frank, Frank comes in and says, Well, maybe someone ought to count to ten. That's <laughs> <laughs> such a brilliant freaking line. Which, and I will just say one thing here is Woo. that it's just a small piece of advice for those horrible people who want to manipulate their their terribly injured children to steal all their money. Yeah. Don't go to Universal Studios first and be nice to them. <laughs> and be nice. Yeah. Just be a little bit like, this is terrible. <laughs> like, don't be so horrible. <laughs> like, true. in addition to these people being horribly evil, they are stupid. Yes, very true. Those bed sores, skin ulcers, there's one on her leg that's turned gangrene. Don't smell real pretty, does it, Doc? We might have to lose it, Maggie. <sighs> and what's interesting about this moment, there's a look, and I'm going to say something that sounds completely crazy, but I feel that it's true. Yeah. Which is, I think this moment that she's going to lose her leg is the moment she realizes she will never have her boxing career. Yeah, yeah. Even though she was already paralyzed and she had already lost it. You, there, there, there could be some hope that a miracle would happen to heal her spine. But once you take the leg, then that's it. And I, and I know that sounds crazy, and it is crazy. But I feel watching um, Hillary Swank's face that that's what's happening. You know what I mean? That's hope, hope, hope totally dies in this moment. Yeah. Frankie's back home. Another return to sender. Yeah. And the despair on his face. And now we're back at the hospital, and he's sitting at her bedside, and it's so subtle, but she doesn't have that leg anymore. Yeah. They don't, they don't do a close-up. They don't show you anything. You could just see by the lay of the sheets that it's gone. Yeah. And she says, they took my legs, boss. Yeah. And he says, it's going to be all right, you hear? And she says, I always hear your voice, boss. My note in my notes is, again, I'm bawling. And then my hmm. next note in my notes says, in fact, I'm crying right now reviewing my notes. Yeah. And you could hear what I had to say that line. Still getting me, man. That's the moment when she, when it's over for her. Yeah. When they took her leg. Because that's like, they're going to keep taking pieces of her until there's nothing left. Until she's just a torso and a head. And what kind of life is that? Lindley and I have made that, have had that conversation. And, you know, I've told yeah. her straight up, you take me out. When, yeah. If that happens to me, you 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 do the DNR and or you you do the, you know, you just do the thing. Well, because I don't I don't want to live that kind of life. No you offense. need to do it now, right? No, I mean you need to do it. You need to write, go to the lawyer, or oh. go online, and you need yeah. to put that into a document. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, this is it's just simply telling her isn't enough. No, because well, first of all, you're not married. 
So she can't make that decision for you legally. It's a fair point. And, okay. e- and even when you are, so I don't know if we'll put this in the show, <laughs> um, but there's, there's levels of it. Of oh. Like, what do you want if this? What do you want if this? Gotcha. Do you want them to shock you to try to bring your heart back under these circumstances or those circumstances? Gotcha. What if there is a 5% chance I could regain some, you know, what do we do under these circumstances? Right. Do you put in a feeding tube? Do you put in a breathing tube? Do you, you know, there's a lot of, I know this from dealing with my dad. Um, is so you need to write up what exactly your wishes are and they'll change over time because you as a, a you know, almost 50 year old guy, what you might be willing to put up with is different from you as an 85 year old guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like how much, how much labor you're going to put in. So, so it is actually stuff you need to put in a writing. Fair point. Okay. Um, Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's strange places we go on the cinephile. <laughs> you need anything? You didn't know what Makushla means. Well, you didn't win. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> And she says, you're the meanest man I ever knew. No wonder no one loves you. <laughs> and the next thing she says, after saying, no wonder no one loves you, you remind me of my daddy. Yep. It's all right there. Yep. Every, it's it, line to line, moment to moment. It's all there. Um, and he says, well, he must have been a very intelligent and handsome man. And then. I got a favor to ask you, Bob. Sure. Anything you want. Remember what my daddy did for Axel? Boom. Camera pushes in. His reaction is amazing. For the first time, he is caught off guard fully by her. And he says, don't even think about that. And her explanation is, he's like, I can't be like that. Not after what I did. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I didn't, didn't expect the movie to go there. Is that part of what... Makes it so hard. She had people cheering for her. Yep. She was an inch away from the champion of the world. Mm-hmm. And to go from that to this, and I love that the way she, she says, I was born two pounds, one and a half ounces. Daddy used to tell me I fought to get into this world. And I'd fight my way out. That's all I want to do, Frankie. I just don't want to fight you to do it. Yeah. Oof. And there's a reaction. Um, one quick filmmaking thing is normally when you're shooting, you know, the, the, the shape of the screen is rectangular. Yeah. So if I'm shooting a close up, I have the choice to put the head in the middle of the screen to the left side of the screen or to the right side of the screen. And normally when you're shooting conversation, you will have one character on the left side of the screen looking towards the right and the other character on the right side of the screen looking towards the left. So it's almost as if the empty space of the screen is between them. Right. In this scene, Clint is short-sighted, which means that he's looking to the right, but his head's on the right side of the screen. So there's not a lot of room between him where he's looking in the frame. Right. And she's more centered. And generally, you short-sighted, or no, no, she's also on the right side of the frame. So you're, bra- you're yeah. doing it the opposite of the way you really do. Both of them are on the right side of the frame. She's looking left. He's looking right. And when you do this, it makes the shot uncomfortable. It makes the person seem weaker. It makes them seem to be in a difficult position. Yeah. So it's a small thing, but making Clint short-sighted in this moment, which is the toughest one maybe for him in the film, mm-hmm. is a really, really important one. I can't. Please. Please don't ask me. I'm asking. I can't. He looks down, and then we go to the wide shot. 
with Clint's back to camera. Clint Eastwood knows what shot he needs. Mm-hmm. That's so why he smart. can shoot this way. Yeah. When he directs and he is like really motivated to direct, he can direct incredible movies, man. He's never, I, I think he's never directed a fully bad movie, but I know that there, there are certain films that are Oscar caliber movies. Oh yeah. That when he is inspired to direct them, they're glorious. Yeah. And this is one of them. Um, he's at home and he gets a phone call. We're back at the hospital. Maggie has tried to kill herself by biting her own tongue off. Mm. And it's brutal and it is bloody and it is awful and they're working on her and they and she looks up at Clint and they drug her by, you know, putting a shot in the IV. And to me, this is totally connected to the broken nose, Mm -hmm. you know, the the bloody face, except. And and this is her ability to deal with pain, the pain of resetting the nose because she's a fighter. And this is this is the only way she has left to fight at this moment to bite her own fucking tongue off so she can drown. So she can drown in her own blood. Yep. And and what we hear from Morgan Freeman's voiceover is that not only she do it, but as soon as they stitch it back up, she did it again. Yeah. And now they have to have padding around her tongue and keep her drugged up all the time so that she won't do it. Yeah. I mean, and so her life has gotten even smaller. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even have a fucking tongue anymore. But like she said, she's going to fight her way out. Gonna- she just doesn't want to fight Frankie to do it. We're in church. You can't do it. You know that. I do, Father. And then this next line is so weird. You don't know how thick she is. How hard it was to train her. Other fighters would do exactly what you say to them. And and she'd ask why this and why that. And do it her own way anyway. She fought for the title. It wasn't by anything. It wasn't by listening to me. Is any of that true? Um, I don't think any of it's true. Yeah. All she did is say yes, boss. That was their whole relationship. Right. But she made him do it. She wore him down. Absolutely. That's the thing. So they're, they're, they're in, they're in hand, lockstep, hand in hand. But now she wants to die. And I just want to keep her with me. And I swear to God, father, it's, it's committing a sin by doing it. By keeping her alive, I'm killing her. It's a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Great. Con- I don't care about the protests at all. This is a valid conversation. Life is relative. You cannot live in a black and white world. Life is relative. You can't say society has deemed it okay for me to go to a foreign land and shoot people and kill them for a war. But if I come back home and help someone ease their suffering and their pain... That's murder all of a sudden. No. If this person wants to go and I can help them, they should be allowed to go on their own terms. Who are you to tell them they can't take this make this decision for themselves? Who are you who are not involved emotionally? Who are you who are not involved at all personally in this situation to tell someone whether they can make that decision with their life? It's ridiculous. The, I've always felt that way. Um, I totally agree. I, here's what here I, what I was thinking is like I I certainly can't make this decision for other people. Yeah, personally, I a hundred percent believe that assisted suicide is should be legal, and that if someone in in tor- terrible pain with very little hope of any improvement wants to stop living, that's okay. You know, I I was thinking about this idea of sin because that's what we're talking about right now in the church. 
And I went, look, there can be a debate. People could have different viewpoints on whether or not this is right or wrong. And if you believe in the sanctity of life and the, the strongest ways that maybe you might think this is wrong. I can't think of any way, and I know I'm not religious, but I can't think of any way in which this is sin. Yeah, right. What he, there is no good choice for Frankie in this moment. Yep. There are only painful, difficult choices, and whatever choice he makes, he is making out of desperately trying to do what's right. Yeah. And it, you might not think it's right, but I can't think it's sin. Yeah. And, and the other thing I'll say is th- I can't think of another Clint Eastwood performance where you see him as vulnerable and as moved as in this moment. I mean, he's doing the snot coming out of his nose. Yeah. Weeping. Yeah. Yeah. It is so, and, and, and this is, I will say, this is a terrible comedy Terry track, but what Al Ruddy did say is that everyone was totally shocked when they shot uh, this scene. They didn't know they, that he had it in him. Wow. You know? Um, and there's, there's a really interesting thing. So, so the scene goes on, and, sh- and he says, how do I get around that? And the priest says, you don't. You step aside, Frankie. You leave her with God. She's not asking for God's help. She's asking for mine. Yeah. And the priest says, I've seen you in mass every day for 23 years. The only person comes to church that much can't forgive themselves for something. Whatever sins you carry, they're nothing compared to this. Forget about God or heaven and hell. If you do this thing, you'll be lost. Somewhere so deep, you'll never find yourself again. So a weird thing happens when you have the subtitles on. So I had closed captions on. Uh, particularly when I, was, I do the, I always keep them on when I'm watching a commentary track. Mm. There's a thing that he says that is totally inaudible oh. in the closed captions. He says, he says, the priest says, somewhere so deep you'll never find yourself. And the closed captions says, I think I did it already. Mm, interesting. Which I'm assuming is referring to what happened with his daughter. Like yeah. He's already been in hell. Right, right. For, th- for 23 years. Right. And it's one of those things where it's like, I, I kind of, if I can't hear it for real, I wish you didn't put it in the closed caption. <laughs> it was probably in the script. Yeah. And Clint made the choice. It's the hospital. Frank enters. She's sedated. Her eyes are rolled up in her head. And he stands there. And you know that he's deciding. And then there's this moment where her eyes focus on him and sees him. And he's decided. Yeah. He's packing his bag with syringes at the gym and scrap enters. You got a fight I don't know about. And Clint says, It wasn't your fault. I was wrong to say that. You're damn right. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I found you a fighter. And you made her the best fighter she could be. Frankie says, I killed her. He accused Morgan of killing her, but he didn't. Right. Clint did not kill her, but feels that he did. Right. And is now going to kill her mm-hmm. for real. Mm-hmm. All of the protect yourself at all times, all of his desire to protect all of these people that are around him, mm-hmm. his inability to protect her. And now him doing the worst injury a human being can do to another in order to protect her. He mm-hmm. must kill her to protect her now. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of shit right there <laughs> to lay on a character. Yeah. Killed her. Don't say that. Maggie walked through that door with nothing but guts. No chance in the world of being what she needed to be. A year and a half later, she's fighting for the championship of the world. You did that. 
People die every day, Frankie. Mopping floors, washing dishes. And you know what their last thought is? I never got my shot. Because of you, Maggie got her shot. If she dies today, you know what her last thought would be? I think I did all right. I know I could rest with that. That's what Clint needs to hear. Yep. And the camera tilts down from Clint's face down to the bag that he's holding. And he exits. We go into the hospital. He walks down a long, dark corridor, silhouetted, enters the room. This scene is the last scene they shot in the film. Wow. This is it. Sits on the bed. He looks at her and says what he's going to do. All right. I'm going to disconnect your air machine. And you're going to go to sleep. And I'll give you a shot and you'll stay asleep. And she blinks and you see that she hears him. Yeah. And now he tells her. Wakushla means my darling. My blood. And he kisses her. Yeah. It's very tender. Yeah. I don't think he's kissed anyone since maybe his daughter was a baby. Yes. Yeah. He gave her a single shot. It was enough adrenaline to do the job a few times over. He didn't want her going through this again. She flatlines. He touches her face, kisses her again. That was the last shot they shot in the film. Wow. Powerful. Usually... She's, she has a tear. Yeah. Comes down her, yeah. It's that tear of thank you. Yes. That, and that's a beautiful moment to have that close-up on her tear as her saying, thank you for helping me do this, for putting me out of my misery, in essence. Yeah. Usually when you wrap a film, there's a big celebration. You're like, this is the Bartini, <laughs> and then you wrap out your characters, and everyone cheers, and everyone gives hugs, and then yeah. you go out and you get a drink, and you have a party, and it's this is great. <laughs> Finish the last shot. Everyone shut down and quietly walked off the set. I, I mean, it's just, it's just brutal. Yeah. We see him exit down the hall and we see that Morgan Freeman was there that he was watching again yeah. from the yeah. shadows. I went back to the gym, waited, figuring he'd turn up sooner or later. Goes dark. He doesn't show up. It's the next day. Morgan's sitting on the bleachers. We hear a door. And that's when a ghost came through the door. And it's danger is back. Yeah. Yeah. I got to thinking what you said, Miss Scrap. What was that danger? Anybody can lose one fight. That's the truth. Go on, put your gloves on. You missed a lot of training. Will do, Miss Scrap. Shortly. Scrap goes into the office and says Frankie never came back at all. What's interesting is this is how Frankie got his gym. Yeah. Is the guy was going to sell to him, then just died. And now yeah. Frankie just disappears, and now it's Scrap's gym. Yep. Yeah. Frankie didn't leave a note. And nobody knew where he went. I'd hoped he'd gone to find you and ask you one more time to forgive him. Find you? Mm. Right into the Clint's daughter, Frankie's daughter. Suddenly, we go like, oh, this wasn't just voiceover for a movie. No, no, it's been a letter he's been writing the whole time. It's kind of a weird letter. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> we put it all together. But yeah, he's been writing to his daughter and he says, I just hope he found some place where he could find a little peace. A place set in the cedars and oak trees. Somewhere between nowhere and goodbye. 
But that's probably wishful thinking. Somewhere between nowhere and goodbye. You've yep. heard that before somewhere. No matter where he is, I thought you should know what kind of man your father really was. And where are we? What do we see is the last image of the film is that diner in the woods. Yep. And we see a figure sitting at the counter, which we assume is Frankie. Yeah. And this is the spot where he says, I've died and gone to heaven. Mm-hmm. This is the mo- place where he had the biggest connection. This is where the lemon meringue pie is. Yeah. That for whatever weird ass reason is a connection between the two of them and father mm-hmm. and daughter, homemade lemon meringue pie. I've died oh, yeah. and gone to heaven. And that is the end of Million Dollar Baby. Where yeah. do you, how do you think Frank is? I think he th- you think he killed himself? Oh, yeah. I think he had the pie, and then he went and took his own life. I actually I n- think that. I never had that thought, ever. And I mm. think you're 100% right. I think that actually is the kindest ending. Yeah. I think he took the morphine by himself in the car somewhere. I think he absolutely, because he packed a bunch of vials. Yeah. So I just feel like he knew what he was going to do. And you don't need to see it. So I, I like that he leave it a little bit of a mystery. But having that pie at the end, that was his way of saying goodbye to her and goodbye to life. Well, and his life is going to be just, if he keeps, that's why I'm, I never had the thought, but I'm kind of with you. Because it's a miserable fucking life if he keeps yeah, he going. Can't, he, he can't, can't keep, there's nothing to keep going for. No. There's nothing. Yeah. Um, they shot the, so back to Clint Eastwood, the director. Yeah. They shot the film in 38 days. Five of those days were half days. <laughs> Not one hour of overtime on the entire shoot. Incredible, man. That's in, it's not just incredible, it's impossible. <laughs> like that is so amazing. Um, this movie, which cost 30 million, grossed 217 million dollars. There were seven uh nominations, uh Oscar nominations. It won for uh picture, actress, supporting actor for Morgan Freeman, and for director for Clint. Uh, Clint lost to Jamie Foxx, who won for Ray. Screenplay lost to Sideways, which I think is wrong. I like Sideways. It's yeah. a totally good movie. I think the so, screenplay is off the charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and editing uh, lost to Thelma Schumacher, Schumacher for uh, Aviator. So I think it's a better movie than Aviator. I She's agree. a great editor. She is Scorsese's editor, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've gone on a long journey. <laughs> um. I think seeing this movie the second time was, this is my final thoughts. Mm-hmm. Seeing the movie the second time was a completely different experience for me than seeing it the first time. Most of the time when I rewatch a movie, I'm rewatching it to get the same experience I had before. I've seen Rocky, Jaws, Die Hard, Star Wars over and over and over again. And I have the same experience mostly. I mean, yes, I evolve over time, but I'm still trying to get back to that place. When I watch The Princess Bride, I'm trying to go back to the being The Princess Bride, even though when I first saw it, I was like the kid, and when I later saw it, I'm like the grandpa. But yeah. I'm trying to get back to that same place. This time, because the cha- twist in the movie is such a shock, it turned the joyful part of the movie into dread. And it made me so much more moved throughout knowing where I was going to go. And then the third time I watched the movie is I watched it with the commentary track. And then again, when I went through to do my notes, I saw so much more of the connective tissue within here. The structure and the screenwriting and the shot selection and the performance that is making this and the music, too, which is so good, that is doing this really subtle, gentle and unbelievably moving thing. I 
I'm so glad that we did this film again because I, I kind of not thought about it that much. And it's so much better than I had remembered. I think it's a truly great film, and I'm really glad we revisited it. Yeah. Um, I, it's real, I, I think I've never been speechless for final thoughts, but <laughs> I think um, the way I take this film is in a visceral way because I'm a fighter. Mm. And so this film affects me in ways that feel very personal and also um, very distant. Uh, watching her story is so powerful. Um, I mean, because we, we were poor for the first few years of my life. We didn't even have a car for the first two years we were in this country. Um, I've seen that fight and the desire to taste greatness to get there to this the fight of it all and this film is so great at it it's showing you and, and showing you a champion that you want to get behind this hard scrabble determined person eating food leftover food from people's plates anything she had to do she was willing to do save it up in the glass jar I'm gonna do it uh, persistently wearing down the person. I'm going to do it. Why? Because she had a singular purpose to achieve something. Yeah. And she got there. She was inches an inch away yeah. from getting there. But it's okay that she didn't get there. What matters, and what I think the lesson of the movie should be, is not what was lost. It was what was discovered throughout the whole movie. And that is that she was right. That she was right. She did have it in her. She could be champion. She almost got there, but she kicked ass all the way to that point and proved to herself and everybody else and everybody that ever doubted her that she could do it. And that is a lesson for anybody watching that movie. It's not about getting the title. That's cherry on the cake. The cake is what's important. The fight for that title. The things you do to sacrifice for that title to prove that you can do it. And that's the thing. And it can and your title can be something as little as just getting through your day. Or the title is legitimately a title. Either way, everybody's fight is valid and it isn't about necessarily succeeding. It's about fighting for it and what you're willing to do to get there. And, the, and remembering the little victories along the way because those matter as well. And I think that's what is such a powerful lesson throughout the movie. Uh, and Hilary Swank delivers one of the greatest performances you're ever going to see from an actress, actor, period. Um, and Eastwood directs, a, I don't know, as close to a masterpiece as you can be. I think in time, people will see this as one of these masterpieces, modern masterpieces. And it's an incredible, incredible film that never loses its emotional resonance, no matter how many times you watch it. That's great. You know, that's all. You know when a few minutes ago I said, that's my final thoughts? Yeah. That wasn't my final thoughts. Okay. This is my final thoughts. All right. The first rule is protect yourself at all times. Comes up over and over and again in the movie. And the lesson of the movie, now I suddenly think after listening to you, you can't protect yourself at all times mm. is that you need to let pain into your life. Pain's going to come into your life that Frankie who's tried to protect people from pain has had a painful life. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And when he opens himself up to love, he brings pain in. In fact, exactly. and then I just had this other epiphany, which is that who is the person that has to come into the gym? Danger. Yeah. His name is Danger. His name is Danger. You have to invite danger into your heart. Mm-hmm. That's what has to happen. In order to have a loving life, you must, you cannot, you have to accept the fact that you cannot protect yourself at all times. That life and love mean risk and danger, and that even though there will be pain and can very well be disappointment and tragedy and loss, that that's the only way to live, is to, in fact, step past the first rule. Everything in boxing is backwards. That's my final thought. And of course, we wouldn't ever have even begun talking about this incredible film without the Warner Brothers Filmmaker Series that's coming up on YouTube on September 15th. You go to youtube.com slash Warner Bros online, and you'll hear them talk about, of course, the great Clint Eastwood, who we've talked about today. In addition, Stanley Kubrick, Ridley Scott, Martin Scorsese, and Frank Darabont, all directors we've talked about on The Cinephiles. And so we think that Warner Brothers is doing a nice job in following and in the footsteps of The Cinephiles, and we are very, very happy to be partnered with them. This is going on for five nights, beginning Tuesday, September 15th. You'll get uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. You'll get interviews with these filmmakers. Uh, You're going to learn about their movies and what led them to where they are today through behind-the-scenes footage uh, as well throughout this whole thing. And all five of those filmmakers, Stanley Kubert, Ridley Ridley Scott, Martin Scorsese, Clint Eastwood, Frank Darabont, there are so many lessons to learn from all five of those filmmakers. So... Don't miss out on this starting September 15th through Saturday, September 19th. There'll be so much uh, coverage and so much, uh, so many videos for you to watch and enjoy. And maybe if you're an up and coming filmmaker, there are lessons here being uh, uh, administered to you to take on in your life uh, and let danger into your filmmaking. Maybe you'll never know. <laughs> so that's what we think about Million Dollar Baby. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. Take a visit to Facebook dot com slash the cinephiles we want to hear your comments there subscribe to the show on itunes youtube stitcher uh google play spotify please 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 give us your reviews on itunes when you visit the warner bros online youtube channel please say that you heard about it on the cinephiles in the comments if you visit us on youtube Leave a comment there for us. You can support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles. You can buy or stream million dollar dot million dollar baby on cinephiles.net. You can reach the show on Twitter at cine underscore files on Instagram, the cinephiles podcast. I'm on Twitter at SR Morris and on Instagram at SR Morris one. John, how about you? You can always find me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And, of course, please come over to my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash John Roca Says. See all the different uh, programming we got for you there. Please subscribe uh, there and, uh, you know, enjoy what we're, what we're creating over there as well. Steve's been over a few times, done reviews, uh, and, we'll be ha- and have been on the Outlaw Nation show. So there's a lot there for you all to enjoy uh, on the Outlaw Nation channel. And that's it for this week. We will be back next week with another great film on The Cinephiles. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, 
bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.